Talk about just the the 12th man and 106,000 second largest crowd in the history. Let me of tell you the something. Stadium. That atmosphere and environment tonight. You don't want to play in that. Something wrong with you. That that right there. That that recruits and the people and the love. I mean that that that's as good environment and atmosphere as there is in college football, bar none. I don't care where it's at. Those people are behind you, and I'm thankful we won the game for them, and I mean that for our players, for everybody who believes in us, and our, especially our fans, though, because, listen, this, this place deserves a great football team. We're doing everything in our power to make it that way, and we're going to try to get it there. We've got a lot of work to do, and we're growing. But this, this fan base is tremendous, and the atmosphere and environment is the best in college football. I appreciate the fan experience of how fun this brand of football is to watch. I hope, I hope they enjoy the heck out of it. You know, I mean that we're going to play fast and physical in, in all three phases of the game. Um, offensively, yeah, we're probably a little bit different than what's happened. I think that's uh, the first step to, to making uh, this fan base in the state extremely proud of who we are on the football field. You know, elite can be a loose term. I thought that we were elite at times. I never used the term that we're elite. We didn't force turnovers enough to be elite, you know what I mean? And, uh... Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying solo for this episode. Got a couple news and notes from around the league and a fun little list here. I'm going to share my all-SEC transfer team. So two things Shane does not want to participate in. News and notes in the little in the middle of February and any of these rankings, graphics I put out. Man, he hates being tagged on them. So I'll make sure to tag him on it. Make sure to let Cousin Shane know that you disagree with my thoughts on this list. So I would appreciate that. But hey... <laughs> Before we get to that list, just a couple items around the league got a hit on here. And, hey, we love to hit start with something fun if we can. And not necessarily a clip, although this is clip-worthy if we can ever get a, a clip of uh, this man walking back into the facility. But Alabama reaching into an old buddy, Derek Dooley. Can't tell you how many Tennessee fans are fired up to see Derek Dooley back in the SEC. But, of course, not at Tennessee Nick Saban's bringing him back as an analyst. And I don't know exactly what he'll be doing down there, but uh, maybe serving as uh, Pete Golding's Uber driver after Golding a little incident here last couple weeks. But, you know, that'll be fun to see. It it seems like Nick Saban's always got to have a former Tennessee coach on staff. Dooley, if you don't know, he was on, uh, on staff with Jeremy Pruitt last year with the New York Giants. Joe Judge, of course, got fired. And uh, Joe Judge now out, that entire coaching staff out there in New York. So Derek Dooley needed him a job, called up his buddy Nick Saban. So Dooley back in the league. Who knows if that guy will get another head coaching opportunity, but uh, it's looking grim at the moment. But, hell, we've said that about a lot of assistants that went down there to coach up with Nick Saban. The next thing you know, they're leading college programs, they're leading NFL programs. So this is probably what the doctor ordered for old Dr. Dooley down there. But on a serious note here, the team that uh, beat Alabama in the national championship, let's jump on down to Athens real quick, where this happened a couple of days ago, but we just haven't hit on it just yet. But uh, freshman, All-American, and arguably the best tight end in the entire country, even though he's only played one year of college football, Brock Bowers. He is going to miss spring after, uh, you know, he, he's been banged up. He was banged up in the playoffs gutted through it, still star for the Georgia Bulldogs, but he is going to have surgery to repair a torn labrum. And that was the, like I said, the same issue that, uh, you know, 
I don't even know if you could say limited him during the college football playoff. He was so good, but certainly something he had to deal with, and they'll get that cleaned up. Not expected to miss any time in the fall, which is uh, far more important for a guy like Brock Bowers that has got nothing to prove in spring football down there in Athens. But just wanted to make that note. So them Georgia Bulldogs will be looking to develop some other players as well, you know, get the most out of Darnell Washington this spring. Uh, you know, he'll get his opportunity to, you know, it's hard to see Washington stealing Bowers' job, but with those two guys, I mean, Georgia's would be wise to be running two tight end set all year next year with the, with two tight ends of that caliber. But interesting note there that one of the best players is going to miss spring football. And then, hey, we keep teasing it here. Let's kick it down to Lexington real quick, where this is the latest from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport. But the L.A. Rams, who I don't know if you saw it, they held their parade here on Wednesday. There was about 200 people showed up, uh, <laughs> which is about 50,000 less than uh, when any other team wins a Super Bowl. But, you know, those 200 Rams fans, they've, they've had to wait a couple, long, long time. What a two years here, two, three years here for the Rams to bring home the title. And, man, they could not be less excited. But... <laughs> the Rams are looking for an offensive coordinator because there's left to become the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And like I said, there, Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, name to watch, same one we've been saying here, Liam Cohen, the Kentucky offensive coordinator. Here's uh, the latest here from Ian Rappaport. Well, there's two pronged things happening here. You have Thomas Brown uh, works with the running backs with the Rams. He is going to go interview for the vacant offensive coordinator job with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Wes Phillips, who was on Sean McVay's staff, also expected to have some sort of role uh, on O'Connell's staff as well. Maybe OC, maybe pass game. We'll see what role he ends up getting. I would say that's probably a question, too. And then for the Rams, those guys need to be replaced. This has become a yearly ritual for the Rams. Everyone has been stealing guys off their staff, which is a good thing. A couple of names to keep an eye on for the Rams as far as their possible staff. For offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, who is at Kentucky right now, their OC, uh, was on the Rams staff several years ago. A really, really bright young coach. Sounds like he has a very real shot at becoming the new offensive coordinator. And then Greg Olson, who has been OC for the Las Vegas Raiders, did such a nice job after John Gruden resigned. Would not be surprised if he ends up joining the staff for the Rams as well. There's some familiarity there. And, of course, the, the other name there mentioned, Thomas Brown, of course, former Georgia running back, former Georgia running back coach, also running back coach at South Carolina. So, He's been all over the SEC. It'll be interesting. Kentucky fans, man, they got their fingers crossed that Thomas Brown gets that job because if if that happens, Liam Cohen going to be staying in Lexington for Lexington for at least another year. And you know, I don't want I don't want to make too much of losing an assistant because hell, it hadn't even happened yet. But Liam Cohen was so valuable to Kentucky last offseason. A loss, I guess, could really I don't know. It could hinder your chances to win the SEC unless uh, Mark Stoops got another guy lined up that maybe knows this system as well as Liam Cohen does. But uh, Cohen is, is certainly a coach at this point in time where his star is on the rise. And, you know, you're going to lose him sooner rather than later, but you certainly don't want it to be next season with uh, all the anticipation and hype they're building in Lexington. Kentucky could have a special, special season right in front of them. And, hell, I say that even after winning 10 games. I mean, Winning just 10 games probably be a disappointment for Kentucky next season. 
Well, staying in the SEC East, let's kick it to Missouri, where they have made it official. The Missouri Tigers have replaced Steve Wilkes with Blake Baker. That was the guy that I said to watch here. They recently hired him to be the linebackers coach. Now they've elevated him to defensive coordinator to replace Steve Wilkes. If you missed it, of course, went back to the NFL, back to the Carolina Panthers to be a secondary coach and passing game coordinator. So Blake Baker, you know, he's not the worst coach in the world. I think he's a hell of a linebackers coach. I mean, I I thought it was quite the coup Mizzou got Blake Baker to be the linebackers coach, but he has been a defensive coordinator before at Miami and Louisiana Tech. And at Miami, kind of so-so results. Had the number 23 scoring defense in the country in 2019, the number 51 scoring defense in 2020. So a significant drop-off there. And same if you look at defensive efficiency, number 27 in the country, Miami ranked in 2019. That dropped all the way to number 58 defensive efficiency in 2020. And Manny Diaz stripped Blake Baker of his uh, play defensive play calling duties, and, and Manny Diaz himself took that over. Now, it didn't work out too well for old Manny. He got fired anyway. But, you know, so this is certainly a gamble, I think. I know Steve Wilkes defense. A lot of people, you know, we've hit on it many times here, but wasn't near as bad as people made it out to be. Was horrible to start the year, but that unit really, really turned the corner late in the season. Can Blake Baker come in and implement uh, a a similar continuity for that Missouri defense that's certainly going to need it next year with Tyler Beatty off to the NFL with a new starting quarterback? I mean, Missouri's going to have, you know, some pieces to fill in there on the offense. They're going to need that defense to step up if the Tigers are going to rise the SEC ladder. And I'm not 100% sold that Blake Baker is going to be the guy to get you there. But Missouri's in a better position under Eli Drinkwitz than they were sinking chip under Manny Diaz here. So, hey, maybe second time's a charm for Blake Baker. And like I said, at LSU last year, those linebackers really came on strong last season. That's a credit to Blake Baker. And that is a unit that uh, will need to be improved next season at Missouri. And maybe at the end of the day, Blake Baker's the perfect hire for you. But uh, at this point in time, you know, that's that's a question mark that we're going to have to look into this offseason starting in spring when the Missouri Tigers hit the field here in just a couple weeks. Now, last little note here. I've been holding off waiting to talk about this because, man, I kind of hate that there's been recruiting updates for Arch Manning going back to his freshman year, sophomore year. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like that's it's a little too much for me. But, hey, now we're in the official 2023 Recruiting cycle, as hard as that is to believe, and that means Arch Manning is coming up, the number one prospect in the country, number one quarterback. We all know the family legacy there. And there was speculation that he was down to Texas and Alabama, but credit to uh, Steve Wilfog over there, 24-7 sports, one of the best, arguably the best recruiting insider in the country. Not only has he said that's not true, Arch Manning has not narrowed his list. He's expanded on his list here. Now, we know the names here, Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss, Texas. Those are four that Arch Manning has kind of had lingering for quite some time now. According to Steve Wilfong, two other SEC programs in the mix, and this is going to be music to, to the ears of fans in Baton Rouge and Gainesville because Florida and LSU 
according to Steve Wiltfong, are in the mix for Arch Manning. And, man, that's a big deal, particularly for those two new coaches. Uh, you you got to believe that this is accurate information, that uh, the Manning family very high on Brian Kelly, very high on Billy Napier. And, uh, the, the you know, we were talking about it on our last episode. If you, you missed it, go back and watch it. Who's going to be more successful, Billy Napier or Brian Kelly? I don't want to overstate things because I, I hate putting so much pressure on these young players, but it may come down to who sides Arch Manning if uh, one of those two programs manages to to bring in the five-star quarterback. You got to think they're clear the leader to be uh, the better program. So, again, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Ole Miss, LSU, Florida, apparently all in the running for the five-star quarterback and just so much on the line. I know some people aren't buying the hype. Oh, he's just a Manning. You know, I heard the same thing about Eli. Would he be number one overall pick if his last name was Smith? Well, Eli Manning's probably going to go under the Hall of Fame. He's won multiple Super Bowls. So, hey, there's something to this Manning name. Arch, Peyton, Eli, now Archie. Next online. And, uh, you know, whoever signs Arch Manning is probably going to also sign the number one recruiting class in the country because players are going to – they all want to play with the best. And where's the number one quarterback going? That's going to generate so much buzz on the recruiting trail. It's going to be a boom for one of these programs that lands them. And and the only other little Arch Manning nugget here that uh, I don't think this has become official yet, but this could really be a, a feather in the cap of the Texas Longhorns. Steve Sarkeesian is apparently trying to bring on David Cutcliffe to be an offensive analyst. And, of course, the tie there, everybody knows he was Eli Manning's head coach at Ole Miss. He was Peyton's offensive coordinator at Tennessee. The Manning family the Manning family loves them, some David Cutcliffe, and why wouldn't they? But you got to think that, uh, you know, if David Cutcliffe joins a staff, the Manning family is going to be very, very comfortable sending Arch to go play in a program that uh, has David Cutcliffe. I'm not saying that'll be the uh, the end-all, be-all on all that, but certainly something to monitor here as uh, Arch Manning, you know, he goes into the final, the, his last summer of his college recruitment, and uh, no timeline for his pending decision, but we'll have to wait and see. Again, it's going to be one of these six schools, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Ole Miss, LSU, and now Florida added to the mix. And speaking of Florida, hey, I don't want uh, the Gator fans to think I was dissing old Billy Napier here, but uh, credit uh, the new Florida coach because he has given more press conferences than any SEC head coach this offseason. And uh, I really liked, uh, you know, two things Billy Napier had to say from his most recent media availability. And uh, if you've seen it, I think it was 24-7 sports ranked Billy Napier's coaching staff as the best New coaching staff, the new the first year coaching staff gave them the number one grade. Billy Napier was asked about that before he threw a bunch of damn ice on that. And then uh, I love the fact that uh, here he's in what they call phase two, where they're embracing the struggle there in Gainesville. And I just thought that uh, Florida fans, after you know the Gators certainly lost their toughness on the field, uh, I do not think that's going to be a, a problem under old Billy Napier. Hey, Billy, we haven't <clears throat> asked you about your 10 assistant coaches yet now that your staff is complete. 24-7 Sports came out and 
graded your staff as the best in the country among the new staffs. Uh, could you just take some time to maybe run through each of the 10 assistants and just maybe a couple sentences on what they bring to the table as a coach and, and kind of why you wanted to bring them here to the program? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd probably be a little bit overboard to talk about each guy, but just as a whole there, um, you know, it's, it's uh, humbling. You know, it's a, it's a positive. Obviously, it's, it's good that they feel that way, but um, not, their opinion really doesn't matter whether or not these, we're going to be effective or not, right? I mean, we've got to go do it. Um, we're not big into predictions or outside opinions. You know, it is what it is, right? That, that same group will be telling us how bad we are if we go lose a couple games, right? So, I mean, it is what it is. I'm glad they feel that way. Uh, no different than, you know, maybe how they feel about certain players, you know, in recruiting, right? I mean, I think it's a little bit uh, subjective, uh, but I would say over time, you know, I think their opinions are getting more accurate, if that makes sense. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, some, you know, I think maybe one guy wrote the article in this entire world that we live in, right? So it's his opinion. Uh, I'm thankful for it because it certainly helped us. But, uh, you know, all those things are to be determined, right? So we hired them to do a job. They've done it well in the past. Whether or not they'll do it well this year or not, we'll see. So. But uh, we've got a really good group, and I'm confident. Um, and I'm even more every day that we get settled in and we start establishing our processes and our systems, I'm even more impressed with the people that we've hired. So um, I think the key here is that we establish trust. We've got confidence in each other. We work well together. Um, you know, this is very much the sum of the parts dynamic we we live in right i mean we're talking not just about those 10 coaches right we've got probably 250 people that contribute to whether or not we have success all the way from the head coach to the manager that's setting up the you know four cone drill today right i mean we got a lot of people that can that can contribute to our success it's important we all respect each role uh, and that we all realize that we can impact the, the final result. And then defensively, with the co-defensive coordinators, how will that be set up? Who's going to call the plays? And how will they kind of work together on game planning? Yeah, Patrick, Tony will call the defense. Um, and Sean, obviously, is a veteran coach that has a tremendous uh, input and background uh, at multiple stops. Uh, but Patrick will be the play caller. Back to phase two a little bit. Is it fair to say that phase two is, is somewhat about getting the players comfortable with embracing struggle? Yeah, no question. I mean, that's um, we want them to to take it on, right? We want them to embrace it, and uh, we're trying to build momentum towards spring practice. Um, you know, we start position meetings today, right? It's a part of it. Um, you know, each one of these fifteen days, we'll have a position meeting. You know, we'll start implementing some football uh, into what we do. You know, and it's kind of part of that transition into spring practice, which will start March the 15th. So, um, yeah, definitely part of it. So I just thought Florida fans would really appreciate that. I mean, Billy Napier, <laughs> and I, <laughs> you know, he's not talking to a guy like me, but hell, he might as well be, uh, you know, when he says, 
you know, one guy saying that it doesn't mean anything. We got to go out there and do it. And he's absolutely right. I mean, we spin our wheels all off season talking up these programs and what they can do and what they will do. And, you know, the hopes and dreams of them. But at the end of the day, none of that matters. It matters what these players do, the commitment they have and the coaches and everyone around them surrounding these programs. So, hey, they have just entered, like he said, just phase two of the Billy Napier era. And I think they've got a, a year long program that he's implementing down there. So they got a long, long way to go to get where they want to be. And right now <laughs> the struggle begins for them Gators down there. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you're a Gator fan, this, this has got to be exactly what you want to be hearing from your new head coach after the previous one, you know, just kind of lost that toughness, lost that edge to his program. And, uh, of course, we saw how that played out on the field. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P. Head on over to BetterHelp.com SEC to get 10% off your first month over at betterhelp.com. Betterhelp.com will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours over at BetterHelp. Mental health is something we gotta we all gotta take seriously, particularly in these times. I know I've had a time in my life where I needed to speak to a therapist and it really helped me get through the issues I was having. And that's how they can help you over at BetterHelp. Again, that's H-E-L-P dot com and use that promo code SEC. You can find all this in the show notes. Head on over to their website and read some of the testimonials posted daily over at BetterHelp. Two million people have taken charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals over at BetterHelp. Once again, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash SEC. If you need some help, want to speak to a therapist, you don't even have to leave your home to do it. Head on over to betterhelp.com. Use that promo code SEC for 10% off your first month. And again, you can find this link in the show notes. Last thing I wanted to get to on this episode of the show went through and I tried to rank this as, uh, you know, almost like an all conference type team, but I'm did this factoring in just the incoming transfers to the SEC this season. And, you know, this list could get blown up here in a couple months because after spring football, you got to think that, uh, you know, the transfers are, you know, as crazy as it, as it seems, the portal is probably going to heat up once again after spring football. So there could still be some big time players on the move, but with uh, spring football just around the corner, it looks like for now, that uh, the transfer portal carousel, if you will, has slowed down. We have a good idea of, you know, all the major players that are headed to the SEC via the transfer portal have been made at this point in time. And taking that all into consideration pre-spring, here is my all-SEC transfer team, and we got to start with the most important position on the field, quarterbacks. There's a couple of good ones here moving into the SEC or switching SEC teams. But the one that stands out to me, been teasing it already, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma to South Carolina. This was uh, an easy one for me after taking a deep dive on Spencer Rattler and everything that he accomplished at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, he gets my nod here at the quarterback position with, uh, you know, I still need to do a deep dive on Jackson Dart 
you got to think that uh, he's the front runner to, to be Ole Miss starting quarterback next season, but he's still going to have to battle Luke Altmeyer. Whereas Spencer Rattler, I think, is hell. They they may as well name him the starting quarterback right now at South Carolina. I don't believe they've done that officially yet, but we're just wasting time waiting for that one. Uh, and then the other two honorable mentions I'm calling these: Max Johnson jumping from LSU to Texas A&M, and Zach Calzada from Texas A&M to Auburn. Gave each of those players consideration, but you know their path to the starting role not as concrete as Spencer Rattler. I think Zach Calzada, you know, has got an excellent chance to start at Auburn, but hell, we don't even know who his quarterback coach and his offensive coordinator be. So I couldn't in good conscience give him the nod. And then there, Max Johnson, you know, that is going to be quite the battle this offseason. And if if he if I knew he was going to be the starting quarterback, I'd give him some consideration here. I think he's going to be a lot better at AM than he was at LSU. You know, that was just such a train wreck last year with uh, just everything going on. So, Max Johnson, I think brighter things are ahead, but just don't know if he's going to be the starting quarterback just yet for them Aggies next season. Now, moving on to the running backs, this was kind of easy for me. Jameer Gibbs, Georgia Tech to Alabama, number three in the country in all-purpose yards last season on a terrible Georgia Tech team. Now he's going to be surrounded by all kinds of talent, I think he's going to have a huge year for the Crimson Tide. So, Jameer Gibbs would be my number one running back. Number two, Zach Evans from TCU to Ole Miss. And I've said it many a times. You listen to this show, you know. Lane Kiffin's got this reputation as, uh, you know, a quarterback guru, which he deserves. But his system is uh, far more balanced than most people give him credit for. Ole Miss is they led the uh, SEC in rushing in 2020. They were near the top of the list here in 2021. And with lacking a lot of options at the running back position, Zach Evans, he may very well lead the SEC in rushing next year, given how often he's going to get the rock in Oxford. So I think those that's got to be my one-two at the running back position via this, uh, this all-transfer portal team. But I did have a couple guys here on my list here. Christian Beal-Smith. And Lavoisier Carroll, both coming into South Carolina, could certainly see both of them making a big impact for the Gamecocks. But I think they're going to split carries. And uh, I certainly even think Carroll, he may be a year or two away from making a, a large impact for the Gamecocks. But, you know, a lot of promise for him. And then how about Nathaniel Pete, Stanford of Missouri? All Eli Drinkwitz does is take these uh, little-known running backs and turn them into star players. So, would not stun me in the least if Pete this time next year is uh, one of the better running backs in the SEC East. And one other guy, to, I didn't want to forget this guy, Montreal Johnson, Louisiana to Florida. If he's following Billy Napier, you know, that tells you all you need to know about what Billy Napier thinks this guy can do. Now he's bringing him to Florida. I don't know if he's going to be the starting running back or anything, but he's going to know the system. He's going to have a heads up. All the running backs on the Gators current roster so Montreal Johnson one to watch there for the Florida Gators making that jump from the Sun Belt to the SEC ain't going to be easy though and then offensive line hey similar theme here because we get two Louisiana players jumping to Florida you know Cyrus Torrance who Chris Lowe's got as a potential All-American here and we know Florida's got issues when it comes to talent and overall depth 
on the offensive line. So I think his path to the field is very clear, as well as Cameron Waits, again, another Louisiana player, following Billy Napier to Florida. So these two players, their path to the field is very, very clear. And how about uh, Tayshawn Manning, Auburn transfer to Kentucky. They're already hyping this guy up as a uh, day one starter there for the big blue wall up in Lexington. So I got to put him on the list. Gerald Mincy, who I, you know, he didn't play a ton at Florida, but Tennessee desperately needs help at uh, offensive tackle. And I could certainly see Mincy factoring in. I'm, you know, I'm not penciling him in immediately as a starter, but anytime you get uh, a start, a potential starter out of the transfer portal, I'm going to put you on this list. And then two honorable mentions, you know, you might as well throw these guys on the list if you want a whole offensive line here. But Miles Frazier and Traymond Shorts, both to LSU. The only reason I don't have them as firm on this list, coming from FIU, coming from ETSU, respectively, you know, that's a major, major step up in competition. So can they handle that immediately? I believe both these guys got uh, a couple years to play. So, you know, the LSU may be thinking the long term with these guys, but hell, LSU's got several spots available to uh, incoming transfers on that offensive line. So don't be surprised if Frazier and Shorts starting in Baton Rouge next season. Now, when it comes to tight ends, both these guys make the list because they're too good to keep off. Michael Trigg from Southern Cal to Ole Miss, and then Austin Stogner with coming with Spencer Rattler to South Carolina from Oklahoma. I've, I've been watching Oklahoma as uh, to get ready for uh, Spencer Rattler, but I've been impressed with Austin Stogner too. I mean, he's huge. I didn't realize how big he is. He's about six foot five, two hundred forty pounds, and he's got some moves to him. So I think uh, you know he's going to be your starting tight end for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And I think the same thing of Michael Trigg for uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. So these look to be two instant impact players and uh, probably the two best players, two best tight ends in the transfer portal headed to the SEC. Now, how about the receiver position? This was a little bit harder with so many guys coming in to the SEC or, or transferring in at the receiver position. But my list starts and ends with Jermaine Burton, from Georgia to Alabama. And, you know, he certainly had his moments at Georgia, but didn't quite live up to all his massive potential. And I think that's why he's going to Alabama to tap into all that massive potential. I mean, he could be, you know, one of the stars of the SEC next season with Bryce Young throwing him the ball, similar to Jamison Williams. Now, they're certainly different players, but, you know, at this time last year, Jamison Williams was similar mold. You know, made some plays for Ohio State, but just wasn't the star player. Come to Alabama, hell, he looked like arguably the best receiver in the country. So can Jermaine Burton make a move like that? I think it's possible next season. So I, th I think Jermaine Burton, uh, you know, he's going to be in for a huge year there in Tuscaloosa. Now, how about this name? Jadon Hazelwood, Oklahoma to Arkansas. They're going to be looking for a number one receiver in Fayetteville next season. I think the name at the top of that list, Jadon Hazelwood, the former five-star, one of the most talented prospects in his uh, recruiting cycle. Made some plays for Oklahoma, but of course, you know, with the whole new coaching staff looking for a fresh start, you know, I don't think he's going to have a much better option than playing, than making plays for K.J. Jefferson and company. So I think Hazelwood is uh, a potential huge impact player for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And Kentucky got them a couple receivers via the transfer portal. 
Javon Baker, former Alabama receiver, I think uh, you know he would be high on this list for a lot of people. But I'm going with Tavion Robinson, Virginia Tech to Kentucky, 113 catches, 1,555 yards, nine touchdowns in three seasons at Virginia Tech. And I couldn't for the life of you tell you who in the hell Virginia Tech's got at quarterback since Hendon Hooker jumped to Tennessee. So Robinson makes a ton of sense for a breakout-type candidate for Kentucky with uh, everything they lost this offseason at the receiver position. I think there's an outstanding chance that Robinson leads the Kentucky Wildcats in catches. And then one more guy made my list here at the receiver position. And this is a name I think very, very few people in the SEC know now. I think they're going to know it by the end of the season. Antoine Wells from James Madison to South Carolina. This guy just completely tore up the record books down there at James Madison. And he did it as a true freshman and as a redshirt freshman. Two seasons, 116 catches, 1,853 receiving yards, 21 touchdowns. Two seasons, Wells did that. So, you know, I'm not saying he's going to come into the SEC and be gangbusters, but considering South Carolina needs receivers to step up, and now they got themselves a potentially elite quarterback. I think Wells is in prime, prime position to be one of the biggest breakout stars in the SEC next season. Now, moving to the defensive line, again, this was a tough one because there's a lot of defensive linemen move around, moving around in the transfer portal this offseason. But my list starts with Tyrone Truesdale from Auburn to Florida. This was a guy that uh, got dismissed from Auburn leading up to the season opener there at Auburn. And this was the guy that, uh, you know, that it's alleged that he asked Brian Harson for some time off. And he said, well, hell, I'll give you all the time off you can use. You're off the damn team. And that was a mistake because he was arguably the, the best interior defensive lineman that the Auburn Tigers had. Could have used him last year. Now he's going to be playing for Billy Napier and company in Gainesville. So he's got – you know, something to prove there in Gainesville, and I think he'll do it next year. So Tyrone Truesdale, one to watch. Makai Wingo made all-SEC freshman team at Missouri, but he's transferred now to rejoin his former high school head coach down at LSU. LSU needs some players to step up on that defensive line. I think Wingo's poised to make an impact. And then I love this guy at defense, hated him at tight end, J.J. Pegues, Auburn to Ole Miss. That's another one. Ole Miss needs players to step up on the defensive line. I love the potential of J.J. Pegues, and it's understandable him leaving his uh, position coach left for Clemson. So I think Ole Miss got them a real winner there in the the Mississippi native Pegues. And then one other one for Ole Miss, Jared Ivey from Georgia Tech to Oxford. So Ole Miss, you know, you're seeing them on a lot of these, uh, you know, the winners of the transfer portal list, and it's because of, you know, players like this, players like Michael Trigg and Jackson Dart. I mean, Ole Miss, hell, they cleaned up here in the transfer portal. And two other ones here, honorable mention on the defensive line, Darian Henry Young, Ohio State to Kentucky. Only reason I didn't put him on the list, Kentucky is so deep right now at the defensive line position. I think Henry Young will make an impact, but I just don't think it'll be as large as some of these other players. And then Landon Jackson, LSU to Arkansas, just haven't seen enough of him to, to put him on this list. But, you know, I think 
Arkansas has got a need there on the defensive line. So I think Jackson's going to make an impact there for the Razorbacks. But I think he's got four years left to play. So I think his impact is more down the line than it is necessarily next season. Now, that's not to be said for the linebacker crew here. It starts with Drew Sanders, former Alabama five-star recruit. Now he's playing in Fayetteville, and he was in line to potentially start for the Crimson Tide last season. Got a little banged up in camp. Now he's off to play for Michael Scher and Barry Odom there at Arkansas. I think he is primed for a huge, huge breakout season in Fayetteville. Drew Sanders, linebacker crew. Tyron Hopper from Florida, Missouri. Again, you're going to be playing for Blake Baker, who is outstanding at developing linebackers. We've seen it, just saw it last year at LSU, seen it at Miami as well. Tyron Hopper, I think, is in prime position. Missouri needs linebackers to step up. And, hell, they got his cousin Tyrone Hopper. I mean, we could throw him on the list, too. He didn't quite make it for me because Troy Brown from Central Michigan to Ole Miss, that guy is going to cap my all-SEC transfer linebacker crew. 212 tackles, good Lord. 32.5 tackles for loss, 6.5 sacks, 5 interceptions at Central Michigan. Now he's coming to an Ole Miss defense that, hey, they utilized these transfers excellently last season, but some of those guys are off to the NFL, so they've got holes to fill, and uh, they did a hell of a job. Troy Brown, many SEC programs wanted him. Now moving to the corners. Got to start the list with Eli Ricks, of course. Former freshman All-American, jumping from LSU to Alabama. He's in line to start day one in Tuscaloosa. What more needs to be said? If you're starting at Alabama, you are one hell of a player. And uh, Eli Ricks was already one of the best in the country. Now he'll be able to showcase that once again, playing it against his former rival. And uh, But now they did a great job replacing him in Baton Rouge. Jarek Bernard from Oklahoma State. Former Big 12, all Big 12 selection, had 195 tackles, 24 passes defended, two interceptions during his outstanding career at Oklahoma State. You got to think Bernard's going to slide into the starting lineup here at LSU with so many losses. Uh, Brian Kelly and company really had to hit this transfer portal hard for secondary players. And uh, this is just one of the first of many we're going to get to here. And that's Dwight McLaughlin jumped from LSU to Arkansas. So, you know, the trade that was made a couple weeks ago, I love this one for Arkansas. McLaughlin's got a ton of potential, making plays. He was forced into action early in his career, and he didn't disappoint. I think Arkansas got them a, a really talented corner with several years to play here, so I think he makes an impact. And then one guy we've not yet seen what he can do on the field, but it's got massive, massive potential. And if not for the log jam there at Georgia and maybe – you know, they had the, some incoming transfers themselves. I don't know. He must have not taken too kindly to this. I know he got banged up. But Jalen Kimber, jumping from Georgia to Florida, as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to start for the Florida Gators next season. And playing in that defense for Corey Raymond, I think he's going to do big thing for the Gators. I think Georgia's going to regret letting him get out there. Now, last but not least here, the safeties. Again, I said I'd get to it here, but uh, Joe Fouché, the Louisiana native, leaving Arkansas for LSU after racking up 230 tackles, four interceptions, 12 passes defended for the Razorbacks. Now he's going to end his career back home 
for them LSU Tigers. That was a hell of a pickup for Brian Kelly and company. And then last but not least here, Latravius Brini, former starter for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now he went to Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, Arkansas lost guys, but they found ways to replace them as well. He was a solid safety for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now he's off to Arkansas to kind of fill some holes there for the Razorbacks. And, uh, you know, so there's my all SEC transfer team. And these things could be, like I said, this transfer team, all SEC transfer team could look a lot different here at the end of spring practice when we see, you know, how much moving and shaking there is after spring ball. But I think we anticipated a lot of transfers after spring last year, didn't quite get it. So, you know, I'm holding judgment here. Certainly you see a number of these programs, they're leaving a couple spots open for if the right player comes available, they'll grab them. But, uh, you know, that'll just be something we have to monitor all offseason in the SEC. That's one of the weird things about the portal. It never closes, and there's constantly movement. I kind of wish uh, – I think college football would be better off if they if they had windows. I think I've talked about that before. But I just don't care for the transfer portal during the season. I don't like it during camps either. But any other time of the year, I think you, you open that sucker up, and we'll see what happens. Again, after spring football, there should be some more movement. Maybe I have to update this list. But for now – I think these are the, the transfers that are going to make the biggest positions at each position here in the SEC. But all right, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show before I pass out from uh, talking to myself here. But uh, this is probably going to be the last episode of the week unless something happens here around the league here on Thursday. And if nothing happens, we'll be back on Monday. Got Cousin Shane committed to coming back and don't forget to, uh, hey maybe submit some questions via twitter hit us up uh maybe on email at that sec podcast at gmail.com that's another way to reach out to us if maybe you want to be featured on the podcast asking us uh questions because hey we sure as hell could use the content at this point in time this is the the slow point of the off season until spring football hits so we really would appreciate each and every one of those you guys want to send our way but that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one.